I think knowledge is this kind of shield and this buff that we can use for ourselves in the real world. And so that's something that I think is really important to share and cultivate. Hi, I'm Sean, and this is Boss Fight, a podcast about the real-life challenges we face and how we overcome them. Listen, you could be the most selfless person in the world, but if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to have anything to give of yourself to others. Today, my friend Jenny Wyndham is struggling with finding that balance. She has these feelings of guilt around prioritizing herself when she so strongly wants to give to others. But as we know, the role of any good support member in a party relies on keeping themselves standing and in the fray. Because if you go down, you're not going to do anyone any good. All right, welcome to Boss Fight. Today we have Jenny Wyndham, also known as Kim Chica. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. All right, I'd like to start off by getting to know our guest with a, a segment I call Create a Character. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So this is from like your perspective, like true to you. If mm-hmm. you had a character class, what would it be? This is so tough. Well, and this is funny because I just started playing D&D this year. Or I guess like late 2020 was when I started playing D&D for the first time. So it's kind of the first time I ever thought about classes uh, and what I would choose to represent me in a game which was kind of neat. Like I play video games, but I I usually play games that have predetermined roles that I step into. Right. And I yeah. enjoy that a lot. And so uh, having the opportunity to say like, this is the type of character I want to be was like really interesting for D&D. And what was interesting was in the, that game, I created a character that was a cleric. So a healing class, essentially. Half-elf cleric who uses like food both as a way to heal others, but also as a way to sort of like just learn about the world around her. But when you ask me this question now, and I think of just me as a person, not play acting in a campaign, I feel like I'm trying to also think of all the classes there are. I feel like a tank, honestly, would maybe be the class I would say is my own. A lot of the work that I do, I work in the games industry and I am a communications manager. And a lot of that has to do with interacting with people and essentially being the front line of communication between the developers and the general public that plays our game. Yeah. And so in that, I'm very much, for lack of a more graceful term, like the meat shield (laughs) for the studio, which fortunately for the studio, it's been, I have not had to feel like barraged by a lot of uh, incoming sort of capital G gamers. <laughs> Not a whole lot of negativity, really? No, which we've been really fortunate. You know, we're a smaller studio. I think the people who play our games, like we attract, it seems, an audience that is very much aligned with the values that we are putting out in terms of being more family friendly and being uh, generally more wholesome and kind to one another. Uh, so I'm really happy about that. But yeah, I'm still on that front line, though, and I still see and try to like be the first line of response if anything were to happen. But aside from work, even in personal happenings, just through things that have happened over the summer with attending more marches and protests in terms of the interactions I have with my friends, I have learned that I am very willing to put myself in the front (laughs) and to like not necessarily lead an attack, but to like help provide that buffer and support so that others around me can can do what they do. 
I feel like I'm a very good support class person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Both in like your career role and your sort of mm-hmm. your social. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've always I've always loved playing as like support classes. Like you, I think I'm generally more like I play maybe like story-based games or games where I'm stepping into the role of a specific person. But mm-hmm. um, in the few times I have played like MMOs or things where I get to do that, I do definitely prefer, I'm going with like healers a lot because it's like you get the opportunity to kind of like step out of the spotlight a little bit. And, mm-hmm. but like you're aiding people, you're helping people do things they wouldn't be able to do solo, you know? Exactly. And I think for me, the difference, because I, I do toss up between like a healer and a tank. And for me, like the healer typically is not in the fray of things. Yeah. The healer has to be, the, the healer has to have sort of a bird's eye view on what's going on because they have to decide where do the resources go? Where does the energy need to be spent to make sure the whole team stays safe, essentially? And for me, I have realized I love being support, but I also very much love being like in the center of things and feeling like I'm where the action is for better or worse. Yeah. And so I have found that, yeah, just sort of like tank class is kind of where I'm at <laughs> in my life right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really apt. I am I'm definitely more of a healer. I like being off to off to the side. I'll be a little bit like adjacent to the action. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't want to be targeted. So <laughs> I'm a very bad healer. I remember um, the only sort of team is it is it MOBA? Is that what they're called? Like the team sort of match games? Yeah, like like Dota um, and stuff. Like Dota or uh, yeah, League Overwatch, of Legends. League of Legends. Those team games. Whenever I play them, the only game I've played more than just a few rounds and has was Paladins back when that was. I don't know if it's still being supported, but Paladins was a game I got very much into. And I started off thinking I was a healer and I was the worst healer ever. <laughs> I did my very best, but I every time I found myself just gradually getting closer and closer and closer to where everyone was like sort of congregated and like attacking one another. And so I was healing, but I was also just like in harm's way the entire time, which is not where you want the healer to be. Right. So right. Uh, I learned I learned that very viscerally through playing that game. <laughs> On that same note, as a tank, like what kind of special abilities would you use to like aid yourself? Oh, aid myself. Or, or aid the team, I guess, in this yeah, case, the okay. party. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, one thing that I have found as a tank, and I don't know if this is true, like a tank ability necessarily, other than like just straight up taking the brunt of things for people, like <laughs> other than using like my literal metaphorical body as a shield, I found it to be really important to me to help people gain the resources and knowledge that they can to essentially help themselves and help be their own shields in a sort of way. Uh, A lot of what I do with streaming, for example, I found that it's really important for me to provide resources, whether it's resources about indie games, which is a lot of what I focus on, resources about like where to find them or provide information on where to find them, or even especially this last two maybe three, but more the last two years, focusing on like the Black Lives Matter movement, giving people resources in the community that I've cultivated and other communities I participate in. Yeah, tools to engage with the content and to find ways to take action that they feel comfortable taking in their own communities. And I think, I don't know if that's like a direct tank thing. I don't know if there's another class that fits that, but I think knowledge is this kind of shield and this buff that we can use for ourselves in the real world. And so that's something that I think is really important to share and cultivate. Yeah. Yeah. 
don't have to get too literal with the comparisons, but I was thinking, yeah. so, I was thinking <laughs> something along the lines of like, because you, you just said it, like information or knowledge is a buff and um, mm -hmm. maybe something like you share your buffs with the whole party, you know? Mm -hmm. That's That maybe yeah. is how I think of it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And yeah, it's something that I found is not only like, I, I hope it's helpful to others, but I think it also gives me a sense of like, okay, at least this is something I can do. So honestly, it helps me as much as it helps other people. Yeah. And it keeps me, it honestly keeps me honest and like constantly making, like keeping myself in check. <laughs> to be Right, clear. right. Yeah. 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 You have to be on top of the information if you're going to be sharing it. So mm -hmm. yeah, it definitely yeah. keeps that, keeps that going. All right. Yeah. On the flip side of that, what do you think like your weakness, vulnerability, blind side, something like that would be? Oh, <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, this is the hard it's, it's harder there's... to come up with. <laughs> it's well, there is it bad that there are a couple things that came to mind. Uh, <laughs> I think that's not the problem. Yeah, <laughs> um, I wish that was the problem, but I, I think I tend to get, I guess, Oh, how to say it, like emotionally stubborn. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. If I like have an idea, if I see something and I feel a very strong way about it, I have to be very aware and very conscious about taking a step back and not just like being stubborn and, and a little bit rage. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the tankness of me, maybe we can liken it to like the Hulk like a little bit. Yeah. And I don't even watch the Hulk. So if anyone who listens to this is like, wait, that's not how the Hulk works. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I've just seen pictures. <laughs> but I think there are certain things where if I get really fired up, I will just like take it and run with it in my head. And I have to be very aware with, of that and calm down and take a step back. And I've done a lot of work to like make sure I can, that I can be aware of when it happens, but it still happens yeah. to me. Yeah. So I think that is probably one of my weaknesses is I'll get very in my head and very stubborn and I won't let things go. Um, yeah. That reminds me of um, the like berserk status effect in a lot of RPGs. Oh like, gosh, not you're, only... not the, <laughs> you're not the first person to say that I've had a berserk effect like oh, on man. me personally. <laughs> so yeah, and it's, that's, that's perfect as a weakness for a tank because like while it usually does like it increases your strength, it forces you to attack and it lowers your defense. And those are not great things for a tank usually. Nope. So <laughs> it's not, and I'm very aware, Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's true. That is uh, a weakness of mine very much. So in, in a lot of situations. <laughs> well, that, I mean, having the self-awareness is key too. So that's, that's good that you're at least aware of it. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> the first step is acceptance. Yes. First, I wanted to ask you, cause I'm genuinely curious myself, where did the name Kimchika come from or how'd you come up with that? Yeah. It's an homage to primarily as an homage to my heritage. I am half Korean uh, on my mother's side. And, you know, I, growing up, it was really interesting. I had, I was never not proud to be Korean, but a lot of growing up came with like teachers, particularly in the school system saying like, Hey, instead of focusing on like learning Korean and English, we need you to focus on learning English. And so from a very young age, I was made like kind of hyper aware that like Korean is sec should be secondary because we're going to be in America and like English is the language there and you have to make sure you're like really good at being an American. And especially my mom who was born and raised in Korea, I'm first generation on her side. She wanted to make sure that like 
we were good Americans because she wanted, you know, she had that American dream for us in a sense. And so growing up, there was this always this diaspora, I guess, of like, I'm Korean, but am I Korean enough? Am I not Korean enough? What does that even mean? And I think to like tie it back, food was one way that I felt very connected to that identity. Now I'm working on Korean language a lot more, but food and holidays and a lot of those more tangible cultural artifacts are the things that tied me to to that Korean heritage. And so uh, when coming up with a name, I wanted to do something that like felt like I was still acknowledging that part of myself. So kimchi, uh, which is like one of the most famous foods in Korea, it's a fermented like fermented vegetables. Most commonly people see like radish and cabbage, but there's like hundreds of kinds of kimchi. Uh, and it's a spicy kind of food and it's my favorite. So I was like, okay, well, I'll use kimchi as the base. And like chika was just girl. <laughs> and I was like, hey, that blending the two just felt really nice. It felt felt like home. So I was like, all right, I'll go with kimchika. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. And kimchi, kimchi is supposed to be good for the gut too. I keep hearing that yeah. a lot, you know? Uh, it's funny. I mean, I have my aunties in Korea like you ask them and kimchi will cure anything, which it's very healthy, very mm -hmm. good for the gut. You know, it's got all those fermented probiotics things. Yeah. I don't think it'll cure as many things that they say it cures, but uh, it is a very, very good food. That's great. Yeah, I've um, I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of fermented food. I wish I that's wish okay. I could. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of an acquired taste. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to get there because I, I, I keep hearing how good it is, but good for you. And, mm -hmm. you know, I know people that love it. It's just not my, not my jam, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier that you're really into indie games, right? Yes. yes. Oh, I love indie games. <laughs> so um, when did that kind of start? When do you think you got like exposed to like the indie scene? Oh, I can tell you the exact game that did it. And it was to the moon. Uh, to the moon was the first indie game I played. And it like, it truly changed my life because it showed me that games could be more. At the time I had played, I was playing a lot of like Xbox uh, and a lot of Nintendo. Those were like the two consoles that I was around the most, um, mostly because at college, friends of mine had an Xbox. And so we'd all hang out and we'd play like Grand Theft Auto. We would play, well, Left 4 Dead was PC, but we'd play Left 4 Dead. Um, Halo was out back in the day. <laughs> so that was really popular. And so it was all these games that were really good, but they were all like first person shooter style games. And I played them and they were fine. But I was like, well, I guess I kind of grew out of video games because I remember, you know, I grew up playing a lot of Final Fantasy, Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger, like the sort of golden age of SNES games. Yeah. And as an adult in college, I was like, well, that doesn't seem to be around anymore. I don't seem to find any of that like compelling story other than when Final Fantasy releases yet another installment, <laughs> which I which would keep, purchase every time. And they keep getting farther and farther apart too. They do. Gosh, I know. I'm <laughs> like, will I live to see the next one? And so in college, To the Moon released, and I don't even know how I discovered it. For some reason, I had just downloaded Steam and I was like, all right, let's just find a game and try it. And somehow it stumbled onto my Steam rec like recommendations or whatever on the store page that was there and I played it and it made me cry and I just fell in love and I was like what is this how do people make this like I want to be a part of this and it just kind of kept going from there 
I think it was a little late to the moon, but I used to be really into the um, RPG maker scene. And yeah, <laughs> I can't remember if that game was made in RPG maker, but it definitely has sort of that aesthetic to it. Mm -hmm. I think it was, if I remember correctly. So it got me, yeah, it got me really warm and fuzzy when I played it just for that mm -hmm. reason. I was like, I had never seen someone actually like sell one of those games before. Right. So that was kind of <laughs> impressive. And then, yeah, just, I think at that point I, had, I maybe like had a little bit more of like the games that like impact you emotionally, but that was, uh, that was de definitely a special one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for any anyone who's not familiar with To the Moon, um, it's a game that came out early 2000s, early maybe 2010, somewhere around there. Gosh, I should know because I love this game so much. But it's a game all about a future technology where doctors can go to the homes of sort of patients in their deathbeds and grant them one last wish by manipulating their, their memories and it's it's a really beautiful story about a man who just wants to like fly to the moon. Like that's been his dream ever since he was a kid. And uh, it talks about his life and the love his, his the love of his life and um, how this these two doctors move through his memories and sort of revisit his life. And I thought it was so amazing that this game not only was able to tell a story that I didn't think was really being told, like both a love story and this sort of bittersweet really thoughtful tale of like, what does it mean when you're changing someone's memories? What does it mean, you know, they're to grant them this wish that maybe never really happened. Really good stuff to just like mull over philosophically, but also it didn't have any violence in it, which I thought was so exciting. Like I didn't want to shoot people in games. I didn't want to like attack anything. I just wanted to be in a world and be in a story. And this was the first time I ever experienced that. So that was really cool. Yeah. It's really funny how, um, shooting is like the primary way of interacting with things in video games, like 90% mm -hmm. of games. It's really, <laughs> really unnecessary. Yeah, I think that's what I love about indie games too, is it feels like they're more willing to do things that don't have to appeal to everyone. You know, mm -hmm. definitely like mainstream games, like I think, I think they're getting a little bit more experimental, but most of them play it really safe. Um, they're just kind of, yeah. they're pushing, they're pushing things graphically, but they're kind of like just iterating off of the same design ideas and indie games can like really go out there and yeah, tell a story that's going to like probably hit a smaller group of people, but like way more intensely. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, 100%. Indie games have this really wonderful place of being in a smaller audience and they can have that specificity that just makes them hit harder if you do find that indie game that really like resonates with you and triple a games are awesome like i love triple a games but they're also beholden to just investors that have a lot more money and have put in a lot more money so it's like they have to, they do have to do what is safer for those investors and mm -hmm. that's you know that's like a whole a whole conversation there but what it is what is really neat is that in the past probably I'd say seven years now, five to seven years, a lot of what indie games are doing in terms of pushing the envelope is getting noticed by the AAA studios. And so we're seeing AAA games really start to absorb and take on a lot of the things that they're seeing from indie games that work. I think one example that really struck me was Death Stranding, because that was a definite like AAA game that came out. Yeah. 
but it had a concept in it that I was like, this feels like a very indie game concept. Uh, and for those of you who haven't played Death Stranding, I haven't finished it, so I don't know how it ends. I don't know if the ending's good or not. But the whole concept is sort of connectivity, creating paths for other players uh, that you don't know that they'll be able to perhaps use and connect and like help deliver packages. And uh, it sounds very weird, and it is. <laughs> it is very it weird. It is a very weird game. It's a concept that, I was mostly excited to see in the sense that it was coming from a AAA perspective, whereas I don't think that game would have come out and like seen the success that it did um, and seen the media attention that it did before indie games because it wouldn't have been an option, I don't think. Right. Yeah, that's a great example. I was going to say something similar about console exclusives in general is that like mm -hmm. I feel like indies, they get a little bit more wiggle room in um experimenting more because mm -hmm. their goal isn't so much to like hit the widest possible audience as it is to like bring it, people into that console ecosystem. Yes, exactly. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of, I was really excited for Death Stranding because it was uh, Kojima's first game outside of Metal Gear Solid. And I feel like he had kind of gotten into a point where he was like, he had expectations about what he was going to do. You know, mm -hmm. I have a really soft spot for Metal Gear Solid, but I really wanted to see what he could do kind of unshackled from that. And right. um, yeah, that game definitely has a lot of the trappings of like an indie game, but with a massive mm -hmm. budget. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be really neat to see. I think I do a lot of specific looking into like the concepts of wholesomeness and coziness in games. I started a little bit more on the community side, but lately I've been looking at what game design how can you design coziness into your game? How can you design coziness or wholesomeness as a mechanic? And uh, like one example are like cooking and like fires, I think, like campfires. Because, and it's not new necessarily, but like Dark Souls has this element of like coziness, wholesomeness with the fires in the game there. Um, Final Fantasy 15, like super big game. They've incorporated a lot more like cooking and campsites, you know, and, and I think... There are a lot of factors that have gone into these really big budget games incorporating these smaller aspects. But I do think indie games and the prominence of certain mechanics in indie games is sort of getting into the eyes of these bigger bigger budget titles. Uh, and I think it's really exciting to see them sort of bleed into one another in that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's also, it's really weird. I mean, not really, I shouldn't say weird. It is really cool to see all these indie games like side by side getting attention you know equal to some of sometimes these big triple a games yes hades being the one yeah. that came out this year yeah. so cool <laughs> yeah hades is yeah hades was, was fantastic e3 i think a lot of times is can be sort of dominated by these you know mm -hmm. massive games but um i think we're seeing more and more and nintendo's really good about highlighting their indie games and mm -hmm. you know making sure that those get like prominence i mean not their indie games, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really cool seeing that, um, seeing it the the playing field level a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. And what's really nice is very it's happening super gradually. Like I I was making a joke to someone because when E three was happening, I think uh, gosh, I think there was maybe only two games that weren't more space and robot and like explosion related uh, <laughs> at E3. And I was like, well, at least there were two games that I thought were cool. <laughs> but then at the Game Awards, 
I believe it was the Game Awards. It was another like big industry event that happened probably about six months later. At the Game Awards, I noticed there were a lot more indies, a lot more variety of like mechanics being showcased, art styles, uh, people presenting the games. And so it's really neat to see how, especially this year, I feel like there have been some really great strides made in the industry for games. And I'm excited and like fingers crossed it still goes in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it will, but like, it feels like more and more it's starting to creep in to the point where people don't expect the, you know, big, like violent game to be like the, the only thing there. I think that the, mm -hmm. the awareness of like the diversity there is, is coming up. And even if those are still the most popular and the best selling games, it, it seems like, especially in like the journalist world, I think games journalism is really likes to highlight uh novelty, I guess, in a way. And mm -hmm. so yep. while they're also kind of beholden to the like big trendy thing right now, they definitely like to point out when something is doing something new and interesting. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of those are getting highlights. Yeah, I've been playing Spiritfarer a lot <laughs> recently. And I think Spiritfarer is a really great example. Um, it was uh, developed and published by Thunder Lotus, if I remember correctly. And that's an indie game that I think, not to the extent of maybe like Hades or Among Us or even Fall Guys uh, this year, it didn't come out with like that kind of audience. But Spiritfarer was up there in terms of like, being nominated with a lot of really, really big titles for story and animation and like a bunch of other categories. So yeah, it's nice to see that indie games aren't showing up in just indie categories, but across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I think like when you're trying to tell a story, I think it makes sense that it's going to be a lot more focused when you have, you know, a small team of like five people or 10 people mm -hmm. versus, you know, teams of like 200 Right. It's like you're and and like you said, the uh, you know, the like boardroom and stuff, the like mm -hmm. people funding it. It's you have to appease everybody with that. But like when you have this small team with like a specific vision in mind, you know, it's a lot easier to execute on that in a way that like really hits for people. Yep. All right. We've been talking about indie games a lot and you've mentioned a couple, but like can you think of one underappreciated indie gem that you would like to shout out? underappreciated. I'm like, there are a lot of really, which is what makes me so excited is there are a lot of really appreciated gems like Spiritfarer, Florence. I'm also secretly naming these to try and like get some more titles <laughs> in there, a short hike. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm going to really quickly actually bring up my Steam list just because I'm sure I'm going to forget something good that I've played recently. Yeah. Underappreciated. I feel like a game that I've recently played that I feel like should have gotten a lot more attention probably would be Carto. It's a very short, very small game made by, I'm going to look this up because I want to give them credit. Carto is developed by Sunhead Games. They got funding from Humble Bundle. I think they got published by hum Humble Bundle, but it's an indie game that should have gotten way more attention. It's cute. I think the art style is incredible. It looks like a sort of golden, what is it? Illustrated golden book, golden illustrated book, the sort of illustrated uh, children's yeah, books from yeah. back in the day. And the game itself, I think, took a puzzle mechanic that I thought sounded cool and made it even cooler than I thought it sounded. The premise is this young girl essentially falls out of her grandma's airship, <laughs> lands on an island, and has to find her way back to her grandma. 
yeah, suspend, suspend your disbelief <laughs> for a little bit. And so she does this by collecting map pieces and putting them together to create the world that you explore. And so you are taking these pieces of map and you can actually move up the map that you're walking on uh, and using it, use it to solve puzzles. The game just, I, I can't say more because it would spoil a lot of the fun of the discovery in the game, but it does things with this puzzle mechanic of moving map pieces around that I just have never seen in a game before done in a way that is scaffolded so that you don't feel like they, you don't ever feel like you're totally lost. And I think the just whoever did the design in that game did an incredible job and I wish they got more attention for it. And I also believe this is a game that was made, oh gosh, somewhere, I, not Japan. I think it was made in Taiwan. Um, and so I thought that was also really cool because this was a game that was uh, developed by Taiwanese developers, which we don't usually see a lot of developers outside of more Western parts of the world. And yeah. so uh, that also was really exciting for me um, when I discovered that and played it. So Carto. I think is one that I would highly recommend. Cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I um Yeah. I swear every game I play where someone says like, "Oh, I can't tell you anything about this because it's going <laughs> to it's going to yeah. give it away." <laughs> like those are some of the best games that I played. I think because of that because I there's like there's usually so much novelty to them that like mm-hmm. in that that discovery aspect, but like Yeah, almost every game where I've ever had somebody recommend it to me and say like, "I can't really tell you much about this because the more I tell you, it's going to ruin it, but mm-hmm. it's really good. And yeah, those have all been like amazing. So I will yeah. I'll definitely have to give that a shot. Yeah, it's nice too, because I think I took longer to play it because I, I was streaming it and talking a bunch. But I think if someone were to sit down and play it, it would like maximum six hours. Like it's a four to six hour game. So I appreciate that too, because it's a game that you can recommend to folks and not worry that they're going to get too tired to finish it. Right, uh, right. It'll It's a little bit more sustainable. Yeah, that's the reason I can't recommend Persona to anybody. Even yeah. though I love it, it's like, <laughs> I can't put that upon you to like spend 100 hours on this game. Mm-hmm. You, you might love it, but if you don't, you're going to hate me forever. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and that's how I feel. I recently jumped into the Yakuza franchise. And I think... I'm going to be there for the rest of my life mm-hmm. because I'm playing Yakuza 0 and I am very, like, I've played probably 50 to 60 hours and I'm not done with that game yet. And there's like seven total, maybe more in the franchise if there's off spinoffs. And well, yeah, I'm I think now at the point I think where... there's seven plus zero pl- plus the, the new one, which I don't think is numbered, but I can't remember. So Oh my gosh. So I'm, I will be playing Yakuza for the rest of my life. Yeah. And so it's one of those where I'm like, I love it. But my goodness, the one thing I love about indies is you can actually finish mm-hmm. this because I don't know if I'll ever finish all the Yakuza's. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very interested in Yakuza too. And I haven't really gotten into it for that mm-hmm. that same reason. I'm, yeah, I don't I don't think I can spend the hundreds of hours because if I like it, I'm going to want to play them all. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm there right now. Like I can only think about Yakuza for a lot of the day. So uh, (laughs) save yourself. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'm going to get into our um, boss fight segment pretty soon. But first, Mm -hmm. I wanted to give you uh, a little chance to to brag about yourself a bit because you've had a lot of cool moments this year. (laughs) And uh, what what do you think is one of your your biggest accomplishments this year? Something you're really proud of? 
It's like, I can think of a couple oh. that I thought were really cool to see. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> this is, can I change my weakness question from the beginning? <laughs> I feel like this is almost more. Bragging about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel so, I don't know. Okay, but let me think. What did I do this past year? I'm really, really proud of two things in particular that I'm really proud of. They're both work things, but I still am really excited about them. Uh, the first was being able to host uh, the Wholesome Direct. That's something I was like over the moon, just so overjoyed that they asked me to do the uh, holiday edition of the Wholesome Direct. And I also got to do VO for the first Wholesome Direct, which was really cool. Wonderful group of people. I'm like a lurker in their discord, but a very hardcore fan in my heart. <laughs> and so um, being asked to participate and like help introduce these games and share this sort of segment of the world to all of these people watching it, that was like really such an honor. Uh, and then the other thing I was really, really proud of, actually, now that I think that was, there's more things I'm proud of than I thought. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, one other thing I was really proud of was... Um, this past year, before conventions were canceled at PAX East, I got to bring a panel um, talking about diversity and representation in indie games. Gosh, when was it? Or no, it wasn't PAX East. It was it was an online. It was PAX Online. <laughs> but um, it was really cool because I think having more panels like that uh, I think is really important. Obviously, we hope to move past those panels to like just not have to worry about them, but I was really honored. And the people who um, spoke on that panel, I moderated it. They were all amazing. Um, v Tran, uh, Wallstormer, Josh Boykin, Kara, Cheritomo, and I all participated. It was awesome. Yeah. And then being on the Nintendo Direct was really cool too. Yeah. That was, <laughs> I'm going to say <laughs> that, that was, was really the one awesome. I was thinking of. I'm surprised that it got you Took you three tries to get there. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the most wild part was I had like not friends of mine, but like acquaintances, like friends of friends who I knew who were messaging me being like, was that you <laughs> on the Nintendo thing yeah. that I watched? I was like, yeah. So I think that was my like 15 minutes of fame that I really got to enjoy. Yeah. On the Nintendo <laughs> side of things. Yeah, that was really cool. I I had kind of the same reaction. I was like, oh, it's somebody recognized on a Nintendo show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. All right. Well, yeah, I'm glad you got over that weakness to to get to brag about yeah, yourself a little bit. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good exercise. I think uh, I think everyone should try that yeah. once in a while. Yeah, everyone, everyone deserves to brag of. about themselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we're going to head into our, our boss fight segment, and I think I give you a little bit of a heads up about this, but I would like you to talk about what personal boss fight are you going up against in your life right now, whether it's a, like a personal challenge or a situation or something. You know, you did give me a heads up on this, and I avoided thinking about <laughs> it, which uh, maybe that's the boss fight in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. I think my personal boss fight right now is, gosh, how do I put this? I would say prioritization. Uh, and I say that in the sense of making sure that I have my own head on straight so that I'm able to help like other people. I think one thing I've learned, especially over the past year, 
staying at home, being inside all the time is you can't, or at least I can't do the work that I want to do unless I make sure that I take care of my own health, my own mental health, my own physical health, all of that stuff. Um, And it's really important just to like understand that you are your own limiter. Like, and I've realized, I think, especially recently, like I tend to take on a lot of things in an attempt to help others. And that has caused me to feel very like stretched thin. And then thus I'm not doing a whole lot to help anyone because I'm feeling exhausted. I'm not giving 100% to the other places that I feel like I should be giving 100% to. And so my boss fight is really prioritization, making sure that I have the ability to see what I really want to get done versus what I hope for other people to get done and me helping them on the way there. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm not very good at words sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think sometimes we get like, we get so into our our role that we kind of forget Mm -hmm. sort of the supplemental things that actually help us to, you know, achieve that role, to commit to it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we started this out, you you, um, compared yourself to like a tank class and like to be an effective tank, you have to, you can't go down, you know, you keep, you mm-hmm. have to keep yourself, you know, healed and on top of things. And mm-hmm. that helps the whole party. And you have to think about it that way. Like, like taking care of yourself is, you know, is going to allow you to help everybody else. Right. And I think a lot of work that I've been trying to do around it is to not think of it as being selfish. Cause I think one thing that I know I've, for whatever reason, because I, I feel like I don't have people in my life saying that it's selfish, but I've internalized this feeling of, okay, if I prioritize these things about myself or specific goals I have for myself, that must be selfish because I'm not spending time helping other people. And uh, that is false. <laughs> if anyone's listening to this who also thinks that way, uh, that's not the case. And it sounds so cheesy and hokey, but you have to take care of yourself and you have to be able to feel good about what you're doing to be able to successfully help others. And you put it perfectly and like oh, pro bringing it full circle to the <laughs> to the tank uh, analogy and metaphor <laughs> back at the beginning. But yeah, to be able to be a good tank, you have to have your shields up. You have to have your health ready to go. You have to be prepared. Um, and so that's my personal boss fight this year is just making sure that that I am prepared in that way. All right. Yeah. I think you might have gotten this covered in that a little bit, but mm-hmm. I did want to to kind of wrap things up on like a, a positive sort of actionable note. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like power ups that you use for this boss fight? Like any tools or strategies you use to kind of help, you know, cope with that? Yeah. Getting away from screens, I think, has been the biggest help for me. Um listening to podcasts and taking walks honestly has like fulfilled me so much. And I spend a lot of time entrenched in the medium that I love, which is video games and like computers. Uh, And it's a great space to be in, but I have found the thing that really heals me the most is getting away from it for longer than just one day, being outside in nature, consuming, consuming materials that aren't digital and consuming materials not in the industry that you are a part of. I think anyone who's in any industry can get trapped in the habit of like always being in that industry. And what I've found has helped me with those feelings of fatigue or burnout or just, yeah, drainage, drain, being drained, is finding other things 
to pay attention to besides what I pay attention to all the time. So I've been doing a lot of like reading, discovering some really fun books. I've been doing wool felting. <laughs> so finding things that occupy my time that that aren't digital. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds, walks have been a lifesaver on, yeah. <laughs> during this whole, this whole pandemic. It's been, been glued to my seat or glued to my monitor, you know, all day. It is nice to just mm-hmm. get up and walk out in nature a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. All right. Well, um, yeah, that was the, I think it's the perfect way to wrap it up. So um, thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us here. Thanks so much for having me. I I really am honored to be a part of this podcast. Uh, I very much admire the work you do. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Boss Fight. Please follow along on Instagram at Boss Fight Podcast, where you'll learn more about our guests and see artwork inspired by the show. Don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes automatically in your podcast player of choice. And remember, game over isn't the end. It's just another opportunity to get better.